Hello, and welcome back to Glossy Trend Watch, streetwear edition. I'm your host, Danny Parisi, a fashion reporter here at Glossy. For episode four, I'm joined by Louis Colon, the vice president of heritage and trend at Fila. In this episode, Louis gives us some insight into how heritage brands like Fila are embracing streetwear and how a brand built for the tennis courts was embraced by the streets. Episode four of Glossy Trend Watch, streetwear edition starts right now. All right, I'm here with uh, Louis Colon. Uh, Lewis is the VP of Heritage and Trend at Fila. Uh, Lewis, can you tell us what is a VP of Heritage and Trend? I've never heard of that title before. So it's a title that was created for my role. Mm-hmm. Uh, we created the heritage category within the Fila world that really spoke and addressed to a new customer, to, had a new product strategy, a different marketing strategy, and obviously uh, encapsulated also collaborations and what we do and what the strategy is going forward with collaborations. Got it. Uh, and when you say new customer, what is that? who is that new customer you're looking for? We were for? looking at Gen Z and millennials and really mm-hmm. trying to talk to youth culture as a whole. We weren't just talking to urban demographic or suburban demographic. We were really looking at the fact that with social and with us all being connected in the world more than ever, we have to talk to a diverse crowd with diverse product and a diverse brand, which is Fila. Right. Um, well, all that's perfect. That's, that's perfect for the topic that we're going to talk about, which is streetwear. Okay. Um, everyone that I've had on this show has had a different definition, a different view of what streetwear is, uh, if it even still exists. So if you could just briefly tell me, like, when I say streetwear, what do you think of? Briefly, briefly, I think of the interpretation of the streets, right? So mm-hmm. this, what kids are wearing and with the youth market, whether it's in, in fashion or sports or music, streetwear encompasses all of that. Right. Would you consider Fila a streetwear brand? I think streetwear has roots within Fila. Um, it's not only identified as a streetwear brand, but has been adopted by youth culture and the streets. And that's why it's a part of um, streetwear. Period. Right. Yeah. So streetwear for you is shaped by the consumer as opposed to the brand. Oh, for sure. The, yeah. the consumer dictates what streetwear looks and feels, smells and tastes like. Mm-hmm every day of the week. It's interesting then because from my angle or from my perspective, it kind of seems like Fila and, and some similar sort of um, heritage like sportswear brands kind of a circular relationship with streetwear where mm-hmm. Fila existed and then streetwear kind of grew out of the community of people, many of whom bought and wore Fila. Right. And then now I feel like Fila is maybe being shaped by some of the that community. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, th- I think it's a tandem of... Um, the influence and the depth that the brand has. I think what we've experienced over the last 10 years is the the new fast fashion. If you look at other brands that came to the market, everyone had you know products that were just commodities and they were buying fast fashion at a value. It was quick, it was easy, but didn't have any brand depth or stories to it. Mm-hmm. So I think now the customer is actually looking for something that has more depth, that has something that they can acquire and discover. So that's what we as a brand offer. We have a balance between a historical brand that was within fashion and sport to also having something that's trend relevant for today. So we look at body shapes, we look at colors, we look at trends, we look at styles from a disruptor that took the chunky trend and we own the space, right? Disruptor's a sneaker of the year, mm-hmm. but also was launched in 1996. So you have that you have that duality of being something that has history and something that's on trend. So my role, we going back to that, is actually always balancing those two threads 
right? Like going back to our museum in Italy in Biella to see what we, the sports and the fashion that we've played in, what we've led in the market, um, what we led in streetwear as well. Because if you look at a lot of brands from the 90s and the 2000s, a lot of their inspiration boards were Fila. All the, every brand, I promise you, every creative director for any brand within the quote-unquote streetwear world was inspired by Fila. And now I think the market has turned back where the customer is now choosing brands that are actually authentic to the space and now reinterpreting them for themselves. Right. Um, something that's really interesting to me about those two threads that you're talking about is I think there are streetwear brands that really are only popular within the sort of very fashion-forward streetwear community. So, for example, like the only people who, buy, who are buying Off-White are people who are into that kind of right. community. You know, my dad doesn't own any Off-White, uh, but my dad owns Fila sneakers, and he owns like a champion sweatshirt and stuff like that. Right. Um, so for you, you guys kind of have both customers, and that's your main focus then is balancing between those two? Yes, for sure. So there's a, there's a couple different business models within the world of Fila. So you do have that customer and that product and that retailer that talks to your dad. My on my side of the world, I'm the one He's that wants to be talk. very excited to hear. Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's a strong business, and I think every brand that's within the top ten footwear and apparel brand has that duality. You could look at Ralph mm-hmm. Lauren, you could look at any other other big brands. They live in the world that's value for the older customer that's looking for a brand that just wants something value and the mm-hmm. seasonal product, and then you want the kid that wants story depth. You want some hype behind it, right? You want some trend-relevant product. You want some new fashion look and feel that makes the kid feel like he's representative of the brand and part of something. So I think that's where your duality comes into play, where in streetwear and fast fashion, we actually get to do something different that, that has some depth and some roots behind it. Right. So could you could you sort of trace Fila's evolution to getting like a, a balance between those two? Was it... Was Fila always kind of balancing between those two, or, or do you think that uh, maybe 10 or 20 years ago it was mainly focused on just the everyday, reliable, not super fashion-y customer? Right. Well, I could give you a quick, brief history. So yeah. the brand started in 1911. It was a textile company mm-hmm. out of the mountains of Italy. It evolved into actually a sportswear company in the 70s. Um, had champions of the brand like Beyond Borg and Silva and a couple other many other sports figures. So they ended up being a sports brand and a sports wear brand. In the 90s, as, as the tennis world evolved, um, the urban community wasn't a part of the tennis world, right? It was something that they aspired to be a part of. So Fila was only found in tennis clubs. So you think about velour suits and the original tennis shoe. There was a reason why, uh, you know, youth during the 90s and the late 80s wanted Fila. It was because it was an aspirational brand, right? With beautiful Italian cuts and beautiful fabrics. So the streets actually embraced it and it became the off-white of that time, right? It was the off-white because it lived in a different retail that was more premium. The products were more premium and the retail price was at a different level. Um, starting from the late 80s to the mid 90s, it actually became a little bit more democratized and was open to more retailers. Mm-hmm. So then you saw this explosion of Fila where the hip hop community and the urban community actually adopted the brand. From there, they took on sports figures like Grant Hill and Jerry Stackhouse and many others. From there, you know, the, the explosion grew and they leveled off and the brand started to take a nosedive in the late 90s early 2000s is really where it started to decline a bit. Um, new ownership went between the 2000s. 
late 2008, the new ownership that, that currently owns it now with the Chairman Yoon and John Epstein led to buy the brand globally. From there, started with the Family Channel to reestablish the brand, reestablish production, get um, get some volume, and get some production going, get the brand back into the market. From there, I started in 2010, pitched the concept of how do we talk to this new customer? How do we talk to the youth market? How do we build some hype around a shoe like the Grant Hill, which was the first shoe that we launched? Strategically, we listed X amount of stores that were like sneaker boutiques, and we also talked to different media outlets like your Sneaker News and Hypebeast and other guys that we wanted to include in building a story around these coveted shoes, right? And we did a limited amount of pairs to build the buzz. From there, that was the inception of the whole heritage category that you see today. And from then, we always knew that there was an opportunity not only with men, but with women and kids in the space, and not only footwear, where we could have a fashion play in apparel, and that's... That that's the whole that's your whole closet, right? You're looking at footwear, apparel, and accessories. And if Fila could earn a space within the youth community's closet, I mean, I think that's a huge win for us. Good. So, so you've got these two different customer bases. Um, how has balancing between the two of them affected your retail strategy, your marketing strategy, stuff like that? Um, it's affected it in good and bad ways. One bad way is that you want to be able to tell two different product stories one is more value that has that same logo and that same execution and you want to be able to differentiate so the good thing is that we can differentiate right it takes a, a team to be a skill team that understands how to have the conversation how to build new faster products more quality products um source it better if you think about the back the back end of this business of sourcing and factories we had to be able to find uh, factories that we could scale and actually create these products. So bad is in the beginning that we were struggling just to get there. But now that we're at this pace, we're able to now figure out the fun part of new ways and new innovative partners to partner with on the retail and collaboration side to actually bring a new vision to the brand. Right. Uh, I feel like for some brands that are kind of in the same position that you guys are in, uh, the having a customer who is not super fashion forward, it can be also kind of a point of appeal for the more fashiony customer. You know, like sure. I, I think that there is an appeal to wearing something that like your dad wears, like or you know, especially with like ugly sneakers or like chunky sneakers, whatever you want to call that whole trend. Um, so it seems like there's been a combination of uh, factors that have all kind of led to like the perfect moment for Fila to kind of make For a sure. big comeback. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think the the guys looking at dad shoes, because at, at the end of the day, you want to feel like your dad. You want to feel like you've matured into something else. Mm -hmm. And you've you've taken things that from your past and what's made what you during your you know, your adolescence that you've always seen and you want to own it for yourself. So I think that's what's a really interesting thing for today's customer and the youth customer today is that they're adopting older, newer, blending it and making it their own. They're making dad shoes a trend. Right. Like dad shoes was a stable business that you founded Costco for the last 30 years. Right. They've actually pushed this business and forced companies in the market space, not just us, but others to actually consider it and think about it and actually design and create towards that. So, you know, the customer today is faster than they've ever been. Um, it's our job and it's fun to actually react and be able to strategize against it with not just product, but the marketing, the retail strategy, all those three things, you know, I could say 10, 20 years ago, those things, those three lanes ran, uh, individually 
and they passed the baton one to the other. Product developed, sold it to the sales guys. After the sales guys sold it, it went to marketing. After marketing, it went to retail. Now we're thinking about the strategy all up front. So as we're thinking about concepts for design and product, we're thinking about what's the retail strategy, what's the marketing strategy, along with the product strategy. Right. So it's just a different way to approach the business um, and a different way to be a little bit more inclusive in the process. Got it. Um, when the sort of streetwear community latches onto brands and like buys them at Costco and, and pushes them, brands that are not going after that customer and pushes them to start, start to acknowledge that those people are buying that brand, is there a risk that you could try to appeal to them too much and end up being like trying too hard a little bit, you know? Y- yes, for sure. I think that is someone in my role and in other pace, places in the business need to understand that there's opportunities that you can jump on that are authentic to the brand and that you belong in that space. And there's other opportunities that you don't belong in. So you can either chase and try to be the third or second or fourth person in the space, or you can lead, right? And our goal is to always lead. So when you see us have, and I think that's the strength of the brand as well, when you see us with a variety of product, whether it's basketball, running, chunky, even outdoor, we see outdoor is a big trend that's coming for the next you know, 18 months. Yeah. And we have distinct roots in the history of the brand, going back to the museum of hiking and Mesner and a bunch of other great stories. What we want to do is start seeding that, seeding those stories now. So as the trend hits, we have an organic play within the space, right? It's authentic to the brand. It doesn't feel fake or forced. Right. Because I think the customer reads that quickly. Mm-hmm. And the, the customer goes and says, I was buying X before the brand even knew that that you had a customer. Right. And now you guys are trying to sell it to us. Yeah. Right. So you it's, have to be very kind of predictive. You have to be, you have to be, you have to gamble a bit, right? Um, but you have to gamble within your wheelhouse, right? Into into your strengths. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of brands that I'm, you know, some of my favorite brands, they're just out of tune right now because they're playing in spaces that they don't organically fit in. It doesn't feel natural, right? Um, I think a, a strength of ours is that we do have such a variety in sports and fashion. We could play to uh, 90s culture, right? Mm -hmm. And 90s, we've seen the trend. But we're not just a 90s hip-hop brand, right? If you look at the Disruptor, Disruptor was very much a 90s rave shoe, right? right? So we're playing in that world. And that Clueless meets, you know, basketball meets hip-hop culture, it's all meshed together to build one story. Uh, A lot of people's purview is is that, oh, hip-hop kids only did this. Skate kids did that. Rave kids did X when there was such a mix of, of like cross influence. And I think that's a that's the space that we uniquely fit in that we can have that. Like our, our women's business is so strong with the women's leading with different versions and updates of Disruptor. With the men's or the men's side is still a little bit more traditional, but they're way more loyal. So you have that blend of going back and forth between genders and product and styles that are still very authentic to the brand. Right. So I think from my perspective, it seems like for a brand, it would be very hard because you mentioned earlier that the customer is faster than ever before today and these trends change so quickly. And so if if uh, outdoor like hiking kind of aesthetic becomes a big thing, which I, I kind of think it is moving that way, um, it seems like the brands that are best positioned to do it are the ones that 
were not like didn't necessarily sense the trend and started shifting towards it. They just were already make like Patagonia or something, right? You know, because they don't have to shift. They've just been making outdoor stuff this whole time. So the the only the only question and maybe uh, thought that I would push to you is mm-hmm. in that space those authentic brands that are super technical, whether it's outdoor or basketball or running. Running is a trend, but more of a lifestyle perspective versus running for the guy that needs to run, you know, 10 miles a day. Like it's a different customer. Yeah. I don't know if there's so much of a crossover between that. I think it needs to have some roots in that, in the space, but I don't know if it needs to be as technical mm-hmm. for the customer. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think it'll all play out within the next 18 months yeah. and we'll see. Our bet is that the lifestyle version of outdoor will actually hit versus the more technical piece yeah. of it right and if we if we make it lifestyle is able we're able to be more playful with it right instead of being so literal like you know we could come out with an outdoor shoe that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go rock climbing with it right but it looks good if you did want to go yeah. rock climbing yeah. with it right and it so, gestures towards rock climbing exactly. even if it's not necessarily functional it's, it's a um, nod versus you know yeah. is the fashion versus function right yeah. you want to have a blend of both but we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with different uh, trend opportunities on where we play in that space. Mm-hmm. If not, again, we will lose the customer by not being honest with them and with ourselves. Right. Um, side note: What's that Nike sneaker that's like the all-terrain, like AT ACGs? ACGs. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So that's um, like a whole line that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I can. I remember seeing something about like a new collection or new drop or something yeah, they, that annually they always play in the space it's never yeah. a big play um i think i think th- they may not ever admit it but they play in kind of in our same mantra of be in the space keep committing to it when the trend comes we can commercialize it when mm-hmm. need be um but if not we'll just keep pushing the brand yeah to be in multiple sports so so we get authenticated in the space mm-hmm. um Speaking of the '90s trend, um, I was looking at some of the recent Fila stuff recently before the uh, before you came into the studio, um, and I saw the uh, Disruptor Rugrats collaboration, yes. which I feel like is uh, such a perfect example of like '90s culture. You know, there was like a uh, bathing ape Pokemon thing recently that's kind of along the same right. the same lines. Um, why do you think '90s is such a big thing in fashion right now in particular streetwear i i think i think it's the if you look at the customer today the the person that they aspire to be grew up in the 90s right Mm -hmm. so if you just look at the age demographics that 20 that 16 to 20 year old some some age range is looking at someone that's 35 to 45 that lived that world and always reminisces and goes back to that so we're always influenced by the generation ahead of us that were cooler and you know, we were inspired by. So I think that 90s comes from there. And I think it was also such a great time. I mean, I'm biased because <laughs> I am a 90s kid. Um, but I think there was such a different purity in music and fashion and and exploration. And it was before we have this big growth in social. Like, you would mm-hmm. go to Japan for the first time and explore this world but now you could kind of explore it through social and through the web. Yeah. Um, you could so, go there not having seen it exactly. already. Yeah. And, and and then you you didn't. It was word of, mo- word of mouth. It was, you know, visual pictures, but it wasn't something you experienced on, you know, on your phone or your tablet or whatever right, it is. Right, right. So I think there is that connection right there. I also kind of feel like now is probably the earliest time 
from the ni- like since the '90s, in which '90s is kind of like old enough to be nostalgic. Right. You know, if you tried to wear '90s clothes in like 2008, you just like look stupid. Yeah, it looks like you you just found that out your closet, right? Yeah. Now <laughs> yeah. It, it's actually it's that cycle of life where yeah. now it just became there's cool enough again. separation. Exactly. Yeah. And to go back to your Rugrats and um, and Fila collection, that was mm-hmm. exclusive for Champs. We launched that, and we. We have a relationship with the Nickelodeon group. We've done other projects like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but we, what we try to do is follow or find unique followings in niche markets because mm-hmm. we know this isn't for a wide audience. We know people will give us a nod like, oh, that's cool and interesting. But there are Rugrats fanatics, right, that would love the stuff. And there's that Venn diagram of who, goes, who shops at Champs, who likes Fila or loves Fila, who likes and loves Rugrats, right? So we found that and we had a huge success with that program mm-hmm. because we were able to do unique product that was trend bright using the properties between us and Rugrats and curate a collection that just made sense for the customer. Right. Um, it's not something that we think is hugely commercial, but we think it's great energy for the brand to continue to storytell. Because I think there's a lot of, a lot of our success is to continue to be first and to continue to storytell and have this cadence of product and stories that we stay in front of the customer. Even if they don't choose to opt in to buy it, it's fun for them to continue to see us do new and fun and interesting things. Yeah. Um, on the topic of storytelling, uh, when you guys are working on your marketing or your messaging, whatever um, whatever it is, how do you balance between like leaning into feel as long history while also kind of trying to you know grab onto whatever is popular or do you try and purposely not to lean into trends too hard or what's your balance there it's it's a unique balance because right? we we do have to pay attention to trends and colors and and fabrics and shapes but we also have to be you know real with ourselves and do we have a history in it i think it gives us a leg up if we are able to pay you know to have a nod back to our past and actually take something from our past and make it trend relevant today. And there are opportunities that we have to look at and wonder, do we even belong in that space? And there are some things that I strategically say, maybe it's not for us. We can pass on it. Let somebody else follow that trend. Mm-hmm. We'll be ahead on the next one because we already are building roots on whatever the next trend is. Yeah. Do you have uh, any examples of something that you considered and then decided wasn't right for the brand? So th- there's a lot of basketball right now mm-hmm. that uh, I would say about two years ago, we pushed away from it. Um, obviously, we have great ambassadors like Grant Hill that we just signed back to the brand. We think now's the time for us to go back and story tell about our roots in 90s basketball. Two years ago, we shied away from it because it was just an oversaturation. We saw the market was just oversaturated. Everyone was trying to cash in on basketball and was failing miserably. And once the whole market fails miserably, it's it's time for a brand to reevaluate what what how much effort and bandwidth we should put into that space, right? And when's the right time? So we feel like right now is the right time, and we are we have a good head start on um, on when this trend that we think comes back. We think that the '90s chunky shoe actually translates to '90s chunky basketball as well. Um, I think there's just a natural progression there. It's up to the brands to continually tell the story and wait for the adoption from the consumer, right? I think I think it just happens naturally. We see Jordans aren't going anywhere. Um, that's a unique anomaly. Um, but for the rest of the market, I think we, if you wait your turn and you don't force it, then it'll come and the customer will embrace you. Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to the Rugrats thing real quick, kind of on the same lines though, 
Um, when you're doing collaborations, how do you evaluate? Um, you know, with Rugrats, you could have gone for any sort, any number of '90s cartoons, but uh, you went with Rugrats specifically. So when you're evaluating uh, collaborations, partnerships like that, what are some of the things you're looking at? So the the, the collaboration strategy has evolved. Um, I would say it needed to evolve because logistically, we need to figure that piece out. Eight years ago, when I was at the brand, first doing the first collab. Um, now that we've built the infrastructure to actually execute faster faster than anyone else in the market with the shortest min- with the lowest minimum from anybody else in the market now that we have that we're actually able to curate fun interesting collabs that address niche markets that's one right does it give a unique pov for the brand that's one two does it talk to a niche community that we haven't addressed or talked to or need to readdress and then three does it put us at a different retail price or a retail outlet if it doesn't check any of those I really push back to say, why are we doing something? Maybe I don't see it, right? Maybe I need to be sold a bit more. But if it doesn't check those, why are we doing it? If it checks all three, for sure, let's move Let's move right ahead and make it happen, right? Yeah. Um, within that, again, we've evolved. We have had projects like Gosha and Fendi that we put almost in the tier zero space, what we call like the high-end fashion. We have uh, projects like the Rugrats that sit in the mall that are a bit wider as far as quantity and distribution um, and don't sit and doesn't sit at just a small boutique or a cool sh- shop, right? It lives in a bigger space. That is our middle strategy. And then the smaller one is kind of like emerging brands that we can partner with, emerging retailers and boutique strategy. So those are the three tiers that we kind of see. Where does this live? Why does it live there? Does it do the checkoff list? And then where can we categorize it into? Right. Yeah, that's something I've heard from a number of brands is that uh, if you're doing a collaboration and the person you're collaborating with is not adding anything or it's with a brand or designer that is so similar to you that it's like it kind of defeats the purpose of a collaboration is not bringing anything new to the table. A hundred percent. We have to look at that as mutually beneficial. That's number one. Um, we have to also make sure that it brings a different POV. Like, are you pushing design elements that, you know, with Partner X can bring something new and fresh? You know, with Rugrats, we brought an experiential piece to the market that we may not have done with Fendi or have done with a smaller collab, right? Uh, again, I think with the smaller collab, we have an advantage to do things first. We were doing projects with restaurants and lifestyle spaces that I think were different from the market then because the rest of the market were only doing collaborations with sneaker boutiques, right? So we try to look outside of that market. And then the business kind of evolved to who can we partner with in the music space? And we saw everyone have a gold rush to find who's the next face of a brand. And we actually, when everyone went left, we went right. And we said, you know, we need to make the face of the brand feel it. We don't need a personality to sign because it's not authentic to the to the to the customer. Mm-hmm. So we made Philo authentic to itself and then we had artists and people actually embrace the brand. So you had artists, celebrities, influencer embracing Fila as if they were sponsored by it. Right. Um, so it's been it's been interesting to watch that over the last four or five years, how that model has changed and how we have been, you know, a bit ahead of the market to actually do it differently mm-hmm. and invest in ourselves first and then invest in the customer secondary because we're adding that value back to the customer by investing in ourselves. Yeah. I've actually noticed uh, a couple different brands moving away from 
frequent collaborations with a million different people to uh, fewer collaborations that are more long term. Right. You know, like working with one designer and putting out a new collaboration like every season or something. Right. It's that, evolved to it's yeah. evolved to like collections and getting mm-hmm. designers to have their spin on your brand. Yeah. The one thing that I'm always cognizant of is the fact that you don't want to cannibalize what you put on the shelves every day. Yeah. Right. You don't want to cannibalize um, driving the customer's North Star to cool collaboration X and they forget about A through Y yeah. <laughs> of products that sit on the shelves. Now, if that product doesn't move on the shelf and they only care about the hottest, coolest collab that they're willing to spend three to six hundred dollars on. And now they forgot about your hundred dollar mm-hmm. item. That's a problem for a brand. Yeah. Right. And you've seen a lot of brands actually go through that and actually fail at retail do extremely well in the collab space in the hype world, but they've never been able to balance the two. So right. they've had, you know, every outlet pick them up and get a ton of love. Everybody loves the project, but do they just love that item or do they love the brand mm-hmm. and do they have an affinity for the brand yeah. and other styles that you're bringing Or do in? they just, are they just a fan of whatever the collaborator is? And then exactly. when that collaboration's over, then you've lost them. Yeah, you and know? the collaborator moves on to another brand, right? Mm-hmm. And does yeah. that, and the customer goes with them. Exactly. Yeah. If you there's a sports in sports, we have the same thing happening. Where are you a fan of the team or the fan of the athlete, right? right. And now I think it's been this this turn where kids today are more fans of the athlete, no matter where they play at. Versus, I'm just I'm always going to be a Knicks fan, no mm-hmm. matter how horrible they are, right? <laughs> but I have little cousins that are LeBron fans. I'm a LeBron yeah. fan as well, but no matter where he plays, they adorn that New Jersey, right? Yeah. Like that is that's their new team because their favorite players there. And mm-hmm. I think there is parallels in the space for collabs because are you a fan like a Fila or are you a fan of the person they collaborated with? Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to again have be have it be mutual benef- mutually beneficial mm-hmm. for both parties where they do something fun and unique. We get some something fun and unique and some new eyeballs that we wouldn't have gotten before. We get some more credibility in the space, mm-hmm. right? That's what a lot of the collabs that we first started was really just building credibility. There was no financial return, but my goal was always when I, you know, approached the president was never to, to have a financial loss, mm-hmm. right? It was investing back into the business and taking zero return, but zero loss. It was net sum, but we actually built credibility for the brand. Yeah. And we actually built demand for the brand. So, you know, when we look at the resale market, you start seeing those are some of your like measures of how are we doing the market? Are people asking for this product? You start seeing Fila show up there mm-hmm. and that actually adds to the credibility of the brand and the viability of the business as a whole. Right. I actually I hadn't thought about that. What is uh what's Fila's relationship like with the resale world? Are you guys I, I mean, just anecdotally, my personal experience going on the, <clears throat> the various resale platforms, like I don't see a ton of Fila. Is that mm-hmm. something that you kind of think about or prioritize? We, we don't prioritize it because mm-hmm. we think that's consumer-led, right? Yeah, so, just let uh, it happen. Just, we just let it happen. There is no mm-hmm. real partnerships with uh, with any of the good spaces. And yeah. I'm a fan of these spaces and, and the platform that they built. Um, our job is to get product that gets resold, right? Mm-hmm. It has that has that craveability that's a bad word but like is it is adorned so much that it does get resold but then you also got to have the balance too of are they buying it to resell it or are they buying it because they want it right mm-hmm. i've had plenty of limited projects that people love them so much that they kept them they wouldn't think about selling them so that's a good nod for us as well to have that that people say oh, hell no i'm not selling that this yeah. is like 
I waited for this. I bought this. It was super limited. I'm not giving this away or selling this, mm-hmm. no matter what the return is, right? I think there was a business model built on top of a business model, which is the resale, which, I, again, I can appreciate, and I think it's it's entrepreneur. It's today's entrepreneurial spirit being shown through sneakers, which is awesome to me. Yeah. Um, so this shift from... The shift to a more streetwear customer for you guys has that changed how you design the product itself in any way? No, I think I think that's one thing that uh, that we think about all the time is is not um, is not customizing to a customer, right? Um, we're making sure that is authentic to the brand and what we see as a vision for the brand. Um, so we don't, you know, we we don't customized for a streetwear kid we don't make something specific for that kid because we know the kid is is a variety of kids mashed into one right mm-hmm. uh the skate kid is a a kid that's also playing basketball right it's no longer that there are two there's jocks and there's you know there's rockers over here and there's yeah. that you know that division is gone and uh i think it's you know said it before it's a little bit more democratized the opportunity for people to embrace the brand so it's our duty to bring them unique stories and unique product offerings and see where the chips fall mm. all right well uh we're about to run out of time i have one more very important question for you before we head out can you tell me what sneakers are you wearing right now i'm wearing the ray tracers mm. it's a new style um, we're at the point in our business where we don't have to only bring new shoes. We're able mm-hmm. to use the DNA from our past and our retro shoes into new items. Um, I think that's where the business is evolving for yeah. us to have that balance. And I'm, my goal is to have a balance of new design, forward thinking design that has some heritage DNA mm-hmm. and that looks cool as shit for the, every kid <laughs> to want to want to buy. Yeah. Also, a part of our strategy is being affordable and at the right price at the right quality mm-hmm. at the right timing you know it's um it's our secret little sauce <laughs> right yeah <laughs> to be in the market and, and look at opportunities and take advantage of where we fit in timeline price wise product wise so as we continue to do that i think we are a, we're a strong player that continue to have some growth cool well lewis thanks for coming in it's been a great conversation me. yeah thank you appreciate it That's all for this episode of Glossy Trend Watch. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. We'll be back next Friday with our fifth and final episode featuring legendary designer and fellow podcast host Jeff Staple as he discusses the rising popularity of collaborations and why he thinks streetwear is a virus. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe and review the Glossy Podcast and follow us on social media at Glossy Co. to keep up with the latest news in fashion and beauty. We'll talk to you next week.